Welcome to the HBG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. Well, welcome to Season 4 of the HBG Bible Talks podcast. We are going to be beginning the letter to the church in Ephesus today, the letter to the Ephesians. And so far on the pod, we have covered the gospel of Mark, uh, just the story of Jesus, his life and death and miracles, his resurrection. We've covered the book of Acts, talking about the early church in season two. And we just finished up the Sermon on the Mount in season three, going through Matthew uh, chapters five through seven, just zeroing in a little bit on the practical, moral teaching of Jesus and now we're jumping into the New Testament letters a little bit here. Yeah, there's going to be a bit of a change of pace, I think it's fair to say, in this season. We're looking forward to it. And it's challenging Stephen and I as well to bring out um, some of the gospel truths in some of these epistles we're going to be looking at, specifically, obviously, the book of Ephesians. And so just know that going into this, that this is going to read a little bit differently than the narrative did of the Gospel of Mark and then the book of Acts and then, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. It reads very differently. And we'll break down the book here in just a second because there will be some practical things that we get to apply in our daily lives that Paul will spell out for us in the, in the back half of the book. But the front half of the book is going to be some things that, that handle theological questions um, that really build a case for why the cross is so important and why, why understanding who Jesus is and what he did is so important. And so there is going to be a, a shift, I guess, in our our focus um, in some ways in the epistles opposed to when we were just doing narrative. Yep. And the word epistles is just another word for letters. Uh, And it's important to remember when we read these, um, as you pick up the New Testament, I mean, once you get past the book of Acts, pretty much the rest of the New Testament is correspondence between uh, the apostles and prophets um, and then early Christians. Yeah. The, The gospels are written in large part, to bring people to faith in Jesus, understand who he is, uh, acts kind of a second part to that, to see how the, the life of the early church. And then the letters are this correspondence of God's chosen messengers writing by the Holy Spirit to people who are now in Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay, like what does this look like now? And what about the life within different churches? And there's, there's a great variety of letters in the New Testament. Yeah. And it's super cool because as you're reading through Acts, you kind of see the big beginning stages of a lot of these churches. And uh, I think you're like, oh, man, I wonder wonder how they're doing. wonder what's going on over there. And these letters that we read will give us a peek into how those churches are doing and gives us an idea of what they're struggling with because of what the author is writing about. And so it's a, it's a natural next step out of the book of Acts to go and read these epistles or these letters. I need to say letters more. That's a more clear way to think of it um, from Paul to these different people. Yeah. And the letter to the Ephesians is going to be much more of a general letter. Uh, there are some of the letters, like 1 Corinthians, for example, that you pick up and you read and you're like, whoa, like, there are some very specific, very big problems happening at this church um, that Paul has to address throughout that letter. But the, the letter to the Ephesians, there are a few personal notes in it, but for the most part, it is just a very big overview of what it looks like to live in Christ and to have blessings in him and the kind of behavior God expects from his people. 
And that's one reason we're choosing to do this letter in particular, kind of as a first letter in the uh, this podcast, is because it is such a good kind of thousand foot flyover of the gospel and mm-hmm. what God is doing in Christ, the, his plan that has come to fruition. And what's kind of cool about these things is when you're reading the gospel of Mark, for instance, season one, uh, it's just telling you the events. It doesn't usually zoom out and say, and by the way, this event right here, this is the significance of this event in the big picture, or like especially the, the death of Jesus. It records the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, but the text doesn't ever say, and oh, I think this is the point where your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the point where, no, it just records the events, and it's really in the letters that you have all of the the significance given, looking back on those events and saying, do you realize what happened in that narrative? Like, mm-hmm. here is the, 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 the meaning behind it. Yeah. Pulling back the curtain and yeah. seeing what's going on. I think going into the letters with that understanding is so important because it that screams context, doesn't it, Stephen? Mm-hmm. That you need to read these letters in context. Because when you write a letter to somebody, you read it in its entirety. You, you take the whole thing and put it together. You don't break it up. You don't just take one verse out of it. And look, there are some benefits to that, obviously. There are some uh, some memory verses I have out of like the book of Ephesians and other letters as well. But it is so important that we see that these letters were intended to be read in one sitting. Um, And so as we get into Ephesians, we would encourage you at home, sit down and read the book of Ephesians in one go. Um, there's six chapters. It breaks down really easy. It's an easy read. Find a good translation and either just listen to it or read through it. it might take what, 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the most. It's super easy to get through and really try to put yourselves in the shoes of these first century Christians as they're receiving this instruction from the apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. So as we approach Ephesians, I think it's helpful for us to talk about just some big picture outline stuff. So we kind of get a, a roadmap of where we're going Um, The book of Ephesians breaks pretty evenly in half. Um, It has six chapters. Uh, Chapters one through three are going to be primarily like big spiritual ideas and concepts. There's going to definitely be some practical stuff in there, but it's mainly like things we need to understand and wrap our minds around to appreciate what God has done for us. And then in chapter four, verse one, the book kind of pivots and then is very practical and saying, okay, like this is the way you need to act toward each other. This is the way you need to live personally in your families, in your homes. And here's the way you need to resist temptation. Like it is just very down to earth, application focused in the latter three chapters, chapters four through six. I like to read Ephesians four verse one as kind of this pivot point of the book. Um, Paul writing says, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so he's saying, hey, everything that's been up to this point, like you see the calling God has given you, like what he's done for you. Now you need to walk, you know, the application stuff, in a way worthy of that calling that you've been given in the first three chapters. And so um, that's kind of the roadmap of where, uh, where this book's going. Another way I like to think of it in my head is chapters one through three is kind of the nature of the gospel, what it accomplished, what it was for, who it was for, and some of what it does. And then in chapters four through six is like, well, what does this look like on an everyday basis? 
in my relationships with other people, especially will be the focus of, of chapters uh, five and six. Um, my, my husband, my wife, my kids, my, my, my coworkers, my, everybody that I encounter, my parents even, how does being a, a part of this kingdom change my relationship with them? How do I treat them? And so that'll be a cool thing to look for in the back half of the book as well. Yeah. All right, well, let's hop in and read together. Um, we'll begin reading Ephesians 1, um, verses 1 through 14. And you'll note as we read this, it's easy to get lost in the sentences. Um, but just let it kind of wash over you. We're going to read through the whole first bit. Um, and then we're going to go back slowly and break it down kind of phrase by phrase as we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'm reading the from the English Standard Version. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, with which he, la- which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. All right, a lot to unpack here. We'll um, we'll kind of dive into those spiritual blessings we just saw in just a second, but we never want to skip over the greeting that Paul gives. It's a very typical Paul way to start his letters. And by the way, it's a very first century way to start your letters by saying who's writing, because mm-hmm. you, these would typically be in a scroll format. And so you would literally have to scroll, not like Facebook, but like unravel a scroll, get to the bottom of it to see who wrote it if you signed at the bottom. And so a lot it's, of these letters began with who's writing. It's funny, though, that we still use that word scroll. Isn't it? Just in we, a completely on, different yeah, context. Yeah, on a digital sense. But it's yeah. the same way of like scrolling but it's down. Because we do the same thing in an email. We'll sign it at the bottom of it. And it's like, well, now you got to scroll all the way down to see who wrote the email. <laughs> That's uh, funny. So, anyway, so it makes sense to, to start it off with Paul. And he gives us... Credentials. I mean, that's that's what he's doing here. An apostle that's sent out one. We talked about that in the Gospel of Mark podcast. He's a sent out one. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and that was evident through the Book of Acts. It was God's will for Paul to be sent out to take this message to the Gentiles, and 
he's very eager to do that. He'll make that case in several of his letters. Mm-hmm. And so he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Again, it's important to note that the word saint um, is not kind of a special category of God follower. Um, it is just everyone who has been sanctified, everyone who's been made holy. That's really what the word saint means. It just means a holy person. Yeah. And all of God's people should be holy. It's not like an extra you know, step up from everybody, but it is... Uh, He's writing to the saints who are in this place mm-hmm. uh, yep. in Ephesus. So a local church is, is what we have in view here in mm-hmm. Ephesus. Yep. And um, he sends grace and peace. This is Paul's very typical greeting. And ending. Mm-hmm. He will often bookend his letters with grace. Um, grace and peace. Always grace first and mm-hmm. then peace. And without grace, there is no peace. Mm-hmm. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As just a side note. Typically, in Paul's letters, when he says God, he is referring to the Father, that person of God. And when he says the Lord, he is referring to King Jesus, the Son, that person of God. I mean, certainly Jesus is God, and God the Father is Lord. But in the way Paul writes, that's just kind of his typical use of those words. When he says God, he's referring to the Father. When he says Lord, he's referring to the Son. And we'll see that again in verse 3 in just a second. Yeah, so let's go ahead and get into the spiritual blessings in Jesus. So we'll just put it this way. There's kind of three sentences, big sentences. Paul Paul writes in bigger sentences than we do. And if you're following along in your Bible, so in verses 3 through 6, he goes through the first three spiritual blessings that we have in Jesus. And so I'll just read those verses again. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Okay. So, the main thing that Paul is doing at the beginning of this letter is he is giving a listing of spiritual blessings that Christians have. And this is one of those things that can be really kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. The the blessings we usually think of when we're kind of praying and listing our blessings are physical blessings. Absolutely. Thank you for my home, for my family, my friends, my church family, um, for my car, for my food, you know. Very appropriate. Scripture is very clear. We need to thank God for those kinds of things. And so that's an important thing. But we need not forget that we have an overwhelming amount of spiritual blessings that we have through Jesus Christ. right. And um, it's so funny because if I were to come up with a list, I think I would struggle to come up with seven. I think I would just say, uh, I'm forgiven. You know, like I, but Paul here, he breaks it down to help us understand how much we really have obtained in Jesus. That's right. And so again, Paul is writing to saints. He's writing to Christians. And it's important to remember as we read through this, this book isn't written you know, to show us how to become a Christian, but it's written to people who are already saved and helping them to realize what do you know what you have do you realize what god has done for you because even after initially obeying the gospel and coming to jesus we're still learning what god has done 
And it's a little bit like, you know, if somebody did something for you when you were young. I mean, this is certainly true of, like, your parents. That, like, as you get older, you kind of start to realize, like, whoa, like, my parents really did a lot for me as a kid. And then you become a parent, and you're like, whoa, like, my parents did a lot for me. So, like, as you grow, you're realizing more and more, like, what's been sacrificed for you, what's been done for you when you were younger. And it was already a blessing then, but you just didn't realize it yet fully. And this is really what's happening in Christ. As we mature, Paul is writing to Christians and saying, as you guys grow up, like, you need to keep thinking about like what God did for you. Because you don't none of us really fully grasp it's it's the language he uses is so over the top here because he's trying to emphasize to these Christians, if you only could see what God has done for you, it would change your life. And I mean it's just it's true whenever you're given anything the more you appreciate something, the better you treat it. And so when we truly understand how much God went through to save us and to redeem us, and if we can appreciate that more, it will encourage us to be faithful. It will encourage us to turn away from sin and to walk worthily. And that, that's, again, anticipating chapter 4. Yep. So in this list of blessings that he's writing to these Christians, say, look at what God's done for you. Um the first thing he talks about in verse 3 is that we should bless God for these blessings. Uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, our King Jesus, who has blessed us in Christ. By the way, that word in Christ, that phrase, comes up 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 times in some form. In Christ, in the Beloved, in Him, 11 times in verses 3 through 14 you have the phrase in christ which the point being none of this would happen if it wasn't for jesus that's the point that's right though is all of this happens because of the work of jesus and so he says this is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that's another cool phrase to look at in the book of ephesians we might be able to dig into that more in a later episode yeah so the first thing he mentions in verse four is when we're into like the proper list here is that he chose us in him that is in christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him so this idea of like god choosing us god electing people to be his own people his own possession we'll talk more about that in just a minute is a powerful concept in scripture and sometimes a little tricky to understand uh, because there is a part that we have in also choosing god and responding to him. But there's a real sense in which God chose us first and which God is the one who has um, has been seeking a people for his own possession. And when we talk about that, sometimes we get into like big theological discussions about free will and what does it mean that God predestined us? We'll talk about that in just a second. And we're not going to try to plumb the depths of all those discussions in this podcast But the point I think we ought to appreciate when we think about the spiritual blessing is that we did not become gods by accident. He chose us in Christ. And that's really helpful to think about that. And I love seeing this in the Old Testament, especially with Israel. I mean, they did nothing to deserve God's grace and his favor to make them his own people. But God chose them out of all the nations of the land. But here's the thing. When God chose them, he called them out to be holy 
and to be righteous and to be blameless. You know why that's important to see? Because that's exactly what Paul says we're to be in verse 4 as well. Mm-hmm. There, there's a response we should have. If God is choosing us, the great holy God is choosing us, then by nature we also need to be holy. I like the way Stephen phrased that earlier, set apart for God's own purposes. Mm-hmm. And so that has to be seen here as well. Amen. And I think that we see the kind of choosing God does now in Christ is not an individual choosing like, it's not like we're all walking around and like, oh, well, like God just picked me to be saved and just picked you to be lost or vice versa. But that God chooses people in him, in Christ. That God has a particular type of person in mind, someone who's going to respond to the gospel message. When Jesus was teaching, he used parables and other ways of teaching to kind of sift through people. And it's those who respond to Jesus that are the ones that God has chosen. And so if we're in Christ, we're part of this chosen group that God had in mind before the foundation of the world. I love trying to even imagine that. It's kind of mind-blowing to think about, like, what was God doing before yeah. in the beginning? Yeah. <laughs> but he had in mind a people like this, a people who would be holy and blameless. And that's why he sent Jesus, yeah. is so that he gets us out of all this. And here's the thing. As, as we think about ourselves and these people that God is choosing— are these people all set? Do they have everything they need and they just got lucky? No. The next spiritual blessing tells us in verse 5, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. What does the word adopt imply about somebody? Well, they either are orphans, they don't have parents, or but the point is they don't have anybody. They're, they're cast out. They, they don't have anyone rooting for them. They don't have anybody that's saving them. They're on their own. But this passage tells us that God adopted us as sons, or or also I think daughters is the Mm -hmm. idea, in Jesus Christ. And for anyone that's listening, and you don't even have to be listening or be be an adopted person to get this point, but for anyone that's listening that's literally their parents adopted them, you know that feeling of being accepted by someone by their pure grace and favor. And that's exactly what Paul is communicating that God has done with us, which is really obviously a huge blessing. Yeah. And again, you don't adopt somebody by accident. Right. There's a choosing that happens there. And so he talks about we're predestined for this adoption. This is something that God thought about ahead of time and wants his own special people. And the fact that we've been adopted ought to give us this sense of belonging that God has chosen me for his family. God wants me to be a child of his, a son or a daughter. And it's what's amazing to me about that is, we'll talk about this in a second, is the father was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son to adopt me into his family. This is mind-blowing. Like When you think about what God did to adopt us, he says we're, we're predestined to adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. There's another one of those phrases, in him or through him. But God, want, God wanted me. He wanted me to be a part of his family enough that he would pay his only, his only son. Yeah, and I, I, that adds to the end of verse 5, according to the kind intention of his will. What does the ESV say there? According to the purpose of his will. The purpose of his will. This wasn't anything God did begrudgingly or did because he felt obligated to do it. It was purely out of his grace, his favor, and his kindness, his good nature, that he did that. And this word kind intention, or this idea of kind intention, we'll see it here in just a little bit as well.
Yeah. And all of this is so that we would praise him. In verse 6, we're going to see, to the praise of his glorious grace. Uh, We'll see that phrase come up a couple of times in verse 12. I'll talk about to the praise of his glory. The end of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Mm-hmm. All of this, these gifts that God is just pouring out on us should result in a return of thanksgiving and praise. Yep. We need to thank God. Because we don't think about, I don't think about these spiritual blessings enough. But this is more than enough reason to just be constantly giving thanks to God, praising his name. And specifically to the praise of his glorious grace. This is kind of gift number three. It's hard to number these perfectly. But at least yeah. the way we're doing it is gift number one was we're chosen to be holy and blameless. Gift number two is this adoption as sons. And now gift number three is his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Again, that is in the beloved son, Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Mm -hmm. That's right. And this idea of grace is just so, so vital in the New Testament, in particular in the letters, though. Paul will write so much about grace. And again, that's how he bookends the letters, right? Grace and peace. Grace is this idea of it's something you didn't earn. It is God's favor to you, his blessing, his free gift that we didn't do anything. There's nothing we could have done to merit it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. And so he's just freely given us this grace in the beloved. And kind of every other blessing kind of falls under that umbrella of grace. It's it's mentioned in the list here, but um, all of it is God's grace. It's hard to find a letter in the New Testament that doesn't talk about the grace of the Lord. That's right. Yeah. Truly is amazing grace. Amen. So um, that leads us to verses 7 through 10. Yeah, we'll reread these again. Um, verse 7. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So this is... Uh, number four in verse seven in him again there it is we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our sins or trespasses according to the riches of his grace there's grace yet again but number four is just the focus on the redemption that we have through the blood of jesus and again i think back to what stephen was saying earlier about how the gospel message doesn't always slow down or at least in the written gospels matthew mark luke and john don't slow down and explain all this to us and it was just kind of a quick mention in the Gospels when Jesus is like, well, this is my blood that's being poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And there's a whole lot of questions that come with that. It's like, well, how is that? Why is it happening that way? And this is one of those places that, that briefly gives that some treatment, that our, our own life, our own blood was defiled. It was not perfect. There was, we, there was nothing we could offer in order to cleanse us from the sin that we've committed. But the blood of Jesus was holy, perfect, pure, unblemished. It was everything you needed it to be to cleanse us and forgive us of our trespasses or our sins. And as a result, when we're forgiven of our sins, the barrier that was between us and God is sin. 
And so when that's been taken care of, that's where we get that idea of redemption. That's right. Being redeemed to the Lord again. Yeah, being restored again. We'll talk a lot more about this concept in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, that we were dead and we've been raised to life again, resurrected spiritually. But I love this description here. I mean, this is one of the more practical things as far as like just everyday things we struggle with. The guilt for what I've done. Redemption from my past. You know, being able to sleep at night. Because I know, you know, I've done some terrible things, but I have come to Jesus and he has forgiven me and washed me whiter than snow. That is very practical to appreciate the, the spirit, this spiritual blessing. And of the spiritual blessings, we probably give thanks for this one more often. Lord, thank you for forgiving me in Jesus. Please forgive me. Something that we ask for a lot. What's so important is like that could not have been accomplished without the death of Jesus on the cross. I love this idea in verse 8 that he lavished this on us. Um, so through his grace. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. And that, that word is a is a lavish word. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it wasn't like, oh, I'll give you a little grace. It's like poured out, flow, overflowing yeah. grace is the idea. Yeah, the CSB says that he richly poured out on us with all mm-hmm. wisdom and understanding. Yeah, that's yes. a cool idea. My cup runneth over yeah. with grace. Psalm 23. <laughs> that's the idea. And, and then in the latter part of this, uh, verse 9 and verse 10, he talks about how God has told us some things that people didn't previously know. He has made known to us his will, which is so important. It's like, what does God want from me? What does God want? Well, God has told you what he wants. And it was a mystery. But what's really cool about this, this word mystery is going to come up several times mm-hmm. in Ephesians and other places. But when we think of mystery, we think of, well, if you call it a mystery, it's something you don't know. It's this, you know, mysterious well, And you got to, like, thing. crack the code. Like, you got to do a lot of investigation to figure it out. Right. But in the New Testament, this word mystery is really more the idea of, like, an open secret. It was hidden, but now it has been revealed. He still calls it a mystery, but it's, like, it's not mysterious anymore. Mm-hmm. He has made known to you the mystery of his will. And this was the plan from the beginning, you know, before the foundation of the world. Like there were all these things and like in the prophets, there's hints of things. There's language. It's kind of hard to, it's kind of seeing it in murky. But then now on this side of the cross, it's like, whoa, the plan is just crystallized. You can see from the beginning how God was weaving this plan together all through the Old Testament and bringing it together at what he says in verse 10 was the fullness of time. Uh, and I, there are several even just historical reasons for perhaps why God sent Jesus at the time that he did. But it was in his plan, his timing to unite all things in Christ. And what we're going to see in a second is that's going to be a huge theme of Ephesians mm-hmm. is unity. Yep. Especially between Jewish and Gentile people. Yep. And he says it's not just Jews and Gentiles, though. He wants to unite all things, things in heaven, things on earth. There are things I don't even understand about that. But what God is doing in Christ is he is showing us his plan, his will. And we should be grateful for that. We should rejoice in that. Yeah, I mean, again, this is where we see that word kind intention again in verse 9. According to his kind intention, which he purposed in him. I mean... we, are, we should be so thankful that God was kind enough to reveal this to us. We are not left wondering, well, what is God's will for me? What, what do I need to do? That has been revealed to us in the, in the scriptures as we have it now, and we need to be thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Amen. 
So that kind of leads us into this next one. Um, let's read verses 11 through 14 again. It says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Okay. So if we're numbering blessings so far, we had one, we're chosen to be holy and blameless. Two, we've been adopted as sons. Three, we have his grace. Four, we have redemption and forgiveness. Five, we, he's made known his will to us, the mystery of his will. And the blessings six and seven, depending on how you number them, are here in this last part. Number six is this idea of the inheritance. And there's a couple different ways to think about this. Because an inheritance is like something you get when you're family. He's mm-hmm. already talked about uh, us, him adopting us into his family. But now it's like as his family, there's this idea of inheritance. Yeah. And that's certainly true in one way that, that's obvious we get a lot of things in Christ. We we have a tremendous amount of spiritual blessings that we've already talked about that we inherit as a result of being a part of God's family. And so that's certainly one way to look at it. Yeah. But there's another way of looking at this, especially when you look at like the original language, is that it may be the idea that we are the inheritance for God. Mm-hmm. That he chose us, adopted us. And now when you think about like, what does God want out of all this? Yep. He gave Jesus. He made the world. He did all this. What does he want? He wants us. Yep. And that should blow our minds. Like we, we have such love and such purpose given to our life when we realize that like God wants me as his inheritance. We're what he gets out of this whole deal. And so if the holy God wants me, then I, it's appropriate that I be holy. It's appropriate that I, I prepare myself to be his inheritance when this is all said and done. And this idea is a little more easy to see in verse 18. Lord willing, we'll talk about that in the next podcast. But regardless of which view you take, both of these statements are true. Right. God wants us and is wanting us to be his inheritance, but we also receive an inheritance from God as being his children. That's right. And, and a side note as we look at this, um, he talks about in verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And then he shifts in verse 13 and says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth. There's going to be a we and you going on, uh, especially when we get into chapter 2. And I think what we're going to see in that is that the church at Ephesus, and this was true of lots of early churches, there were Jews and Gentiles in those churches. And the Jews were the ones who were the first to hope in Christ. They were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for the anointed one to come, the Christ, and when he came, not all of them accepted him, but the first thousands of Christians were Jewish people. And so they were the first ones to hope in Christ. And then he's going to, a lot of this letter is really going to be directed at Gentiles and saying, you're not second-class citizens just because you were second. <laughs> you are the same family with these Jewish believers. All of you are one family in Christ. And so when you see that, we and you in here, most of the time that's going to be Jew-Gentile. The, the we, Paul is writing as a Jew, um, that's the, the we, and then the Gentiles are the you. Yeah, that's cool. 
I'd, I'd not really thought about distinguishing between those two words. That's helpful because I mean that that will be the focus of not only Ephesians but so many of Paul's epistles or mm-hmm. letters as well. But the seventh thing we're looking at here, specifically at the end of verse thirteen, as Paul has has talked about the the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. The seventh and really final blessing that he's going to talk about is the fact that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, um, which is deity, which is God. There are three persons um, in the Godhead. There is Jesus Christ, the Son. There's God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And the way Paul uses it here is to say that that is like our down payment. That is our pledge of our inheritance. Um, And that's a pretty profound idea that I'll be honest, I don't fully wrap my head around at all times. Yeah, well, I, th- I like to think of it this way. I mean, this goes back to the book of Acts when there's that first uh, sermon preached in Acts 2 and the people are told, you know, what, what are we going to do? We killed the Messiah. And he says, you need to, Peter says, you need to repent. You need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And again, there's some some debate on that. But if we see the gift as the Holy Spirit himself, then I think this makes a lot of sense. It's like the thing that we need, our sin has separated us from God. And so we need to be with God. And almost as like a down payment. It's like we're wanting to go be with God when this life is over. that's, That's the hope. But in the meantime, God has given us his spirit himself dwelling in us. And I don't understand all the... mechanics of that but the fact is that i want to be with god but god has come to dwell in me Mm -hmm. and with me and that's a little down payment of the fullness of me dwelling with god in the future it's it's whetting our appetite for that fellowship we can have and with that idea of god dwelling with us and the way the holy spirit does is really i think the idea we get in verse three when he talks about he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in christ there's a very real sense in which we are now living in the heavenlies because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And if we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, if we have God with us, don't be surprised that that, that is a true statement that we are currently living in the heavenlies. Now, I'm not saying there isn't going to be a heaven hereafter. That's very clear in Scripture. But it should change our entire perspective as how we see ourselves in this world now. If we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, if Jesus Christ has died for us and is walking with us, it should change our everyday life mm-hmm. is the idea. That's right. And again, the idea here is not to even fully comprehend every single one of these blessings. Uh, there are things about the Holy Spirit, about Him, that I don't fully grasp. But there are things that I, when I meditate on these phrases, on these truths of Scripture, that God's Spirit dwells in me, that does motivate holy living. That brings a closeness when I pray to God. We know that the the Spirit, one of the things He does is He he intercedes for us in prayer, Mm -hmm. Romans chapter 8. And this passage ties that Holy Spirit within us to future hope. Mm -hmm. We're waiting for that inheritance. Again, he uses the word inheritance again in verse 14. Um, and again, it can, it can go either way here. Uh, it's like the Holy Spirit is the down payment of future things we're going to receive. But it's also the idea of like he's given us the Holy Spirit because God's going to receive us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he He will acquire possession of us yeah, the, at the end. The redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory mm-hmm. is the way my translation words that. Yeah. That's beautiful. The, the end of all this is we want to be 
with the Lord. And he's with us now in a smaller way, looking forward to that fullness, of yeah. a restored relationship. So it's quite the opening to a, to a letter. Um, but Paul is going to have a couple personal things he'll say to them in the next section that we'll get into, Lord willing, next week. Uh, we'll pick up in chapter 1, verse 15, um, Lord willing. Amen. Well, if you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, review. That will help us to reach more people. If you're interested in online Bible studies, uh, please reach out to us, 717-585-0949, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information and studies, look at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.